All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Ashuganas? What the fuck, Sticks? What the fucksters? And uh, what the fucktarians? That's enough for today. How are you? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Interesting show today. Music-based show today. I'm going to hang out with Brendan Small. You may know him from uh, his very popular uh, television cartoon animated uh show metalocalypse you may know him from uh from his uh work on on uh home movies you may know him as the guy who's got his own guitar named after him what about that man so he called me up and he said the uh, epiphone thunder horse explorer that uh, is his is his guitar you mind if i come out o- over to the house and talk about it So we worked it out, and I got myself an Epiphone Dot and an Epiphone SG, and Brendan got on here. It's not what it initially started out as a the idea that we would plug his guitar turned into like just a guitar nerd session. I thought we'd just do an ad or something like that, but uh, because yeah, I'm I'm being straight with you. I I like to play guitar. I wouldn't buy a new guitar, but if I get a new guitar, I'll take a new guitar, and if I can hang out with my friend and fuck around with his guitar i'm all for it that sounds like a win 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 all around but ended up being this classic uh guitar nerd session really and with a great guitar player so that's coming up what else have we got hunt sales who was uh, and is one of the great rock drummers uh was in the uh, band that played behind Iggy Pop on The Idiot. He is responsible for that opening drum riff and the drums throughout the album, but that opening drum riff of Lust for Life, which is one of the greatest drum introductions in the history of rock music, he started playing when he was a teenager. He and his brother uh, Tony were uh, the rhythm section for uh, for not only Lust for Life, but Pretend Machine, but when they were like 17, when they were in their teens... These two guys played on uh, Todd Rundgren's first two albums. But what I was mildly obsessed with was that they were Soupy Sales' kid. Soupy Sales, the comedian. And I remember when I first uh, ran into Hunt, you know, he was this hardcore-looking rock and roll dude. And I just couldn't get past the fact that that was Soupy Sales' kid and he played drums on Lust for Life. I'm like, to me, that was like beyond fascinating. And so when I had the opportunity to hang out with Hunt in Austin... Uh, I'd met him once or twice and I just, I just tracked him down and we, we, we hung out in a hotel room and talked about, about drumming a little bit about Soupy, about Iggy, about Bowie, uh, about his life. And, uh, I was thrilled. I was thrilled to hang out with Hunt. So that's coming up. Let's go through the calendar. Cause I want to make sure people know where I'm going to be Saturday, September 21st. I will be at the Rochester Fringe Festival in Rochester, New York, Tuesday, September 24th. I will be in Toronto, Ontario for the Just for Laughs 42 thing. Two shows up there. Friday, October 4th, I will be here doing a live WTF at the Los Angeles Podcast Festival. You can go to LAPodcast.com and check out that. I will be in San Francisco in conversation with Adam Savage. That's on October 16th, and he's going to be uh, talking to me about me, I guess. He's interviewing me, but I feel like it's going to go both ways. That's... uh, that is for uh, the City Arts thing. It's a, it's a benefit, I believe, City Arts and Lectures. It's a public radio thing. 
So that's what's coming up in the immediate future for me. Obviously, I'll be around. I've been busy uh, writing my show. Uh, we're we're deep into the uh, the beginning phases of writing uh, the next season of Marin on IFC. It's very exciting. We're we're doing what you call a breaking story. That means there's a there's one, two, three, four, five, six of us in a room sitting there with a you know bunch of my ideas and some uh you know for stories and fleshing them out. It's a big difference between uh, an event and a story. You know, I think I got a head full of stories, but you might just have a head full of events because stories sort of have to go from A to B to C and then like what happens. But uh, it's going well, man. We, you know, we've been at it a couple of weeks. We've uh, sort of fleshed out a little bit of, you know, about eight or nine of them. And uh, it's very exciting. It's very taxing. It's hard work. I don't know if you want to believe that or not, but it is to put stories together and uh, it's looking good. So that's a deep tease for the next se- se- uh, for the next season of Marin. You know, I got this stray cat outside. And I've told you about him before. I got this little black cat that's been coming around, and he's deaf. I got a deaf wild cat outside. I don't know how he lives. He must be one tough fucking cat, or you know, or he doesn't do much. But he's out there in the wild with hawks and coyotes and he's been coming around for over a year completely fucking deaf this cat well he showed up the other day and i think he lost an eye and uh, i didn't know if it was infected he doesn't come around that often he comes around sometimes and i saw him you know a few days ago and his eye was all fucked up and i and i like i think it's i think he lost it i think he lost his eye and then he came by a couple of days ago and, it, you know, it's all swollen shut. And now he's, he's just this deaf cat with one eye and it's just breaking my fucking heart. And I got I got a trap today. I'm going to trap him and get him, you know, fixed up, get his eye fixed. And I called my neighbor. I said, you know, I'm going to trap the cat. And he goes, why are you going to take him in uh, to have him put down? And that didn't even occur to me. And I'm like, why would I do that? He's like, well, he can't hear and he lost an eye and he's why he's out there in the wild. Yeah, but he's got a good spirit. You know, he shows up, his tongue's hanging out, you know, he's just, he's afraid of me, but he's eating and, you know, and he, and, and he, he seems to be managing out there to me, some sort of symbol of, of, of strength and cunning and, and survival, this deaf black cat. And I haven't seen him today. I didn't see him yesterday either. And I want so badly for him to be alive still. And I didn't even think to have him put down because I just want to get his eye fixed and I just want him to go back into the wild and 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 be this symbol of survival for me. I don't know what the right thing to do is, but he doesn't seem unhealthy. If I can catch him, and if he's still alive, I'll bring him to the vet and I'll get him checked out. And if he's healthy, um, and he's uh, you know, not not sick in any way, I I hope it's okay that I I let him back out. He won't he won't live with people. He won't live in the house. He's a feral cat. I don't I don't really know what to do with him, but I don't want to put him down just because he can't hear and he's only got one eye. Maybe it's the right thing to do, but I love that guy. And uh I love that he's out there in the world and he's he's fighting the good fight, but maybe I'm being selfish. Maybe maybe I should try to find him a home. I'll let you know what happens. But I'm definitely going to try to trap him and, and at the very least get his eye fixed. And, and you know, I, I guess I should try to find him at home. I think that's what we need to do. Oh, God. So sad. He's got one eye and he can't hear. It's almost like I feel like I should, you know, write a fable about him. I think he's a living metaphor. Someone suggested a folk song 
maybe that's it. But you know, in the immediate uh, situation, I de- I need to hopefully get him and get him help. All right, so listen, folks. Let's go to my conversation with Brendan Small. And if you don't mind, I hope this is more upbeat for you. We're gonna we're gonna nerd out on guitars. We're gonna talk about his uh, the uh, Thunder Horse, the Epiphone guitar that uh, is uh, you know is in honor of uh, Brendan Small. It's a, it's an important day, and it's a it's an important uh, event for Brendan. I was glad to be here to help him promote his guitar, to watch him play his guitar, to trade some licks, and ultimately to get me a couple guitars. <laughs> It's starting to sound like Guitar Center in here. (laughs) 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 All right, so, all right, let's let's talk for a minute. Okay. So, I'm here with... Oh man, all the buzz stopped. Where'd the buzz? Where... I think that's, that's the, I think that's me over Is here. Is it? You know what? You put this thing next to a light. Sometimes these things go crazy. You can't fucking control anything. No, you can't like no. you, you know. You get all this good equipment, and then all of a sudden you're up on stage, <clears throat> and yeah. you're wrestling with a fucking. Absolutely. But that happens. That but... happens to everybody, and it happens. There's dirty power that happens in every single line everywhere. So right. people have these like power cleaner kind of things that they have to bring along with their racks. So they've right. got something that that makes sure that the power is a regulated power. Right. People have it. Guys from like. Guys, they're like just tone freaks to like uh, Megadeth have a power a guy. A, but do they have a guy that's just sort of like, where's the guy, the power guy? They have a guy that comes in and he says, "Why is it so buzzing?" Oh, you fucking, you got uh, a million of fluorescent lights. And they sound like shit everywhere. I went and did an amp clinic. Yeah, where I was, I was, I was, de- I was demoing an amp, and uh, and it's a good amp. And yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't demo it if I didn't think right. it was cool. And uh, the whole thing just sound like. I'm like, gentlemen, <laughs> gentlemen, you sell, you sell electronic instruments. You're trying to make these things sound good, and it sounds like garbage in here because you've got 4,000 fluorescent lights that generate this 60-cycle this hum. Well, Brendan is Small is here, Hi. and yeah. we are talking, uh, obviously, gear. We're talking gear. <laughs> yes. And I've got, I've, got the, I've got mics. I've got amps yeah. mic'd up here. Yeah. And the reason... I wouldn't even know how to make that sound yeah, with anything. I'll show you with later anything. on. I'll show you later I, on. You're not going to show yeah, me I'll anything show I'll remember. Okay. Well, we've we've talked over... You, you've been on a couple of times for different reasons. You were on originally to just talk, and then I think we talked about, uh, about no, it was just the me, record. I, it was just that the one time, I think, didn't we? I don't know, man. I don't know. You tell me. Well, this I is didn't. a big event. Either way, yeah, it's cool this is uh, you the, You've crossed... Not a, not a comic uh, grail, right. but, but certainly a grail of a musician, and you've designed... And they've released a, a guitar, right? That is the Metalocalypse guitar, right? Right? Right. So and this is this is a guitar um, originally made by Gibson, but we sold out of them, and people wanted this guitar, and it's called the Thunder Horse. And now Epiphone, who uh, is a part of the company of Gibson, right, built this guitar, and they built a lot of great guitars. And so Thunder Horse, it's called the Thunder Horse. <laughs> yeah. Now was this a funny name? Were, were, no, were there you... was a, there's a song called Thunder Horse by Metalocalypse. By Metalocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> So there's like a like yeah. So you 
get this like a b- bunch of crazy. But that's the song called Thunder Horse, and it was like uh, anyway, it's a song people know it in the show. So now, okay, so Epiphone. Now you can get these from Epiphone. Yeah, and you, you, I'm I'm proud of you. This yeah. is a big time. It's this cool. Is a big moment. It's cool. You know what? I uh, why the Explorer body? What when you were okay? Let's talk about designing a guitar. You're yeah. like, all right, do what you want. You yeah, get to, you get to make a guitar. You know what? Th- what I wanted to do is it was just my opportunity. Gibson. I'm a big fan of Gibson. I play yeah. them, and we we endorse them on the show. But they didn't have a certain couple of things on the market that I wish they had. And I basically yeah. said, I'm not doing too much of this guitar because it's yeah. already great. I right. took an Explorer and I said, do a Silver Burst because I was a big fan of these. Uh, they did a really cool line of these guitars in the early 80s called yeah. the E2s and E1s. <laughs> yeah. And I loved them. And, and I just wanted to swap out the pickups because I like really clean, old school, like uh, like basically the pickups that Led Zeppelin used or uh-huh. you know, back in the day when they played right. Les Pauls and all that stuff. And I wanted my guitar to sound like a Les Paul inside of a... Uh, a, a big scary metal body, but yeah. it's, but it's still the way I look at this guitar is it looks like classic rock. It looks like old Def Leppard or something. No, it like definitely that too. does. I you like know? the uh, the silver sunburst. It, here's the thing. Yeah, I've been playing guitar for 22 years. Yeah, I can't believe how much I still like the guitar. Oh yeah, I like to wake up and I like a guitar to be in my eye line. That's that's how much I really like guitar. And I just really I go. I like to look at one. If I'm not playing one, I'll sit and look at one for about 45 minutes. <laughs> And I'll use a metronome to time myself. Now, now you must have it. Do you use them? You do sometimes. I right? do. I do. It's a big difference. When you're recording, I don't know if yeah. you've recorded before, but you'll find out the first thing you'll notice is everyone's rhythm sucks. Yeah. You'll anticipate. You'll be behind the beat. You'll do all yeah, kinds yeah. of crazy stuff. So you've always got to work with a metronome. So if you're working on stupid, crazy, fast, like so any of that stuff. But you, you but like you now have as many guitars as a guitar center. Do you find that you still yes. go to a guitar center? Or can you just go into that other room in your I house? I threaten my girlfriend often to take her in there just to pay her back for restoration hardware. <laughs> <laughs> to take her to the guitar center. So here, this is this is guitar center. Just to hear an army of guys going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you have a million guys doing that. But every time I go to a restoration har- hardware or a pottery yeah. barn with her, I go, no, you don't understand. This is guitar center for me. This is what the feeling that I'm feeling now is what you feel when I drag you to a guitar center. <laughs> But yeah. You can appreciate a knob, I can, or I can appreciate a knob. It's true. I right, like so, I like a I like a Edison bulb. So so yeah. like okay. So okay. Explain to me as a novice, as a guy who just plugs in a guitar. Yeah. So this guitar that you've designed, sure. The, what well, is it? The Thunderfuck? The Thunder Horse. The yeah. Thunder Horse. So like, what, give me an example of what what it what, what, what that would be. So here's just the sound of the guitar. So like that, I've got all that game yeah. stuff. But if you re- see, that sounds pretty. You wouldn't expect a guitar that looks that dangerous to be that lovely. So you can get like nice jazzy sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds full, it doesn't sound thin or wimpy or right. Because when I'm sitting there making music for Metal Ocalypse, yeah. I'm gonna play a death metal song for one second, then I gotta turn around and play some weird jazzy chord structure because I, I wanna have like a restaurant scene right. and I wanna do that. So you do all but that. But I want something and I want something that sounds like, you know, like the... So I gotta have like some kind of weird country, yeah, yeah, like you yeah, know, yeah. like you have no choice but to continue learning about these instruments and why they work. So you find out what capacitors and and all those things are <laughs> and how they affect your volume pot your, and all uh, that stuff. It's how's really your comedy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hey, a good question. Do stand up? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I could I could sit there and talk about this stuff. Let's just go through one one fast rock and roll lick. No, no, like let's, I want to know I want to know what you would do. Yeah. If I was just like any. E. Usually I just go for the simple thing. The older I get. Yeah. 
and then I'll do a little bit of there. There's, there's enough fast stuff. I feel obligated now at this point in my career to have to play at least one fast thing. <laughs> Some scrambly fast thing, but I, uh, yeah, now what would you do over that thing? <laughs> you and E? that bad about that that was good i don't feel it bad about good. what i did your there. guitar sounds really good and uh, the playing sounds really good so. I, th- I think i've gotten better man but it does sound the thing is it does sound good and i would say this to anybody who's who's playing guitar everyone uh you know you've got a really cool amp it's a nice tube amp and you've got a good guitar that works so everything else is your fault <laughs> so if something doesn't sound right it's your left or right hand well this guy from at mars amplific- amplification sent me this amp and it sounded great for a couple days and then i blew a tube i don't know if that was my fault or what but he built me this thing I'll talk about that later. Yeah, you rock too hard. That's what happened. I think that's what happened. Yeah. But so people, yeah. I think I think my audience primarily are people like my age or maybe your age. Not right. primarily, but yeah. I would hope that the people listening right now are like, no, oh, yeah, get one of them. That sounds pretty good. You know what? They're, they're affordable. They're like, uh, they're they're cheaper than you think they are. Uh, Epiphones and are reasonably priced. They're reasonably priced. And they're heavy guitars, dude. I mean, like yeah. this one, this SG, I, I was surprised, that, you know, because when, when you think Epiphone, you yeah. think like, well, yeah. Gibson's really the Gibson. And then Epiphone, it's the yeah. same fucking guitar i can't if someone just taped up the headstock i wouldn't be able to tell this you from couldn't, gibson man. yeah is there a yeah. difference no well they're 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 built elsewhere and the well, thing is it. gibson is built in the u.s and that just has a lot of value for, right for guitars you know like, but that's uh, really it though they're that's just built- it and the thing is you, guitars the way guitars are built these days they're not like they used to be where a luthier would sit there with, like whittling <laughs> down a neck in his backyard yeah, yeah. They're made through computers, so you're going to get straight neck every single time, and or they're, or they're not going to sell it, you right? Know? So you're not going to get a warped, screwed up neck. You're going right. to get something that really you know, works. But, yeah, but that is, doesn't en- encourage you to be like, well, I had to work around this. Uh, this this yeah, guitar is beautiful. I know, I know. But it sort of defined my sound because it was warped a little bit. You I can know. always raise your action and make your guitar really horribly hard to play if you really <laughs> want to. It's there, sitting there, if you really want to do that. <laughs> Are you sure. doing what is Metalocalypse? Where are we at with that? I'm doing a an hour long rock opera from beginning to end, no dialogue, all music. It's really cool. It's the coolest thing we've ever done. And it's going to be the cartoon. It's going to be the cartoon. Oh my! It's a God. one hour long. It's like a, it's got elements of heavy metal of Andrew Lloyd Webber of I don't know if it's Japanese Euro pop whatever it is. But I've got so many different styles of music in this thing that it really is a fun way to tell so a story. You're- you're you've now figured out to do exactly what you want to do and now it's just the in the trappings of comedy barely yeah no but you know what i really you know what metal Metal has made me miss going out there and failing on stage (laughs) 
You want to go tonight? You could probably go out and fail. I can do it. No, I've been do- I've been doing a lot more stand up this past year. Yeah, and it's been a really fun, crazy uh, experiment getting back on stage and realizing, oh right, I used to I used to have a couple of muscles and yeah, yeah. But it's like going back to the gym and lifting as oh, yeah. heavy as you can. Yeah, and your next day you're just sore. <laughs> So your heart, you're, you're crying. You're hard, you're yeah. Failure. No, you're, you're you're moping around like, what did I do? It was always, oh, I lifted too much. I wasn't ready to do 25 minutes for people that paid like 18 bucks. What, yeah. what, uh, what about the record? How's that doing? The record did really well. The uh, Last Metal Lock, Death Album 3 hit number 10 in the Billboard Top 100. What about 100. your solo? Solo record did did nicely. It it did uh it basically I don't I don't go and check out anything. I yeah. have it available and then I get checks from like iTunes and stuff and it's nice. It's paid for itself and then some, which is cool. And I I do it pretty much not to make money but for fun with my solo stuff. But you've carved out a interesting career for yourself. It's fun, you know. I, I I'm not interested in any of that shit though. I really don't give a shit about it. About what? Career? About about any of the stuff I've done because I don't think it's interesting. What are you talking about? Meaning it, it, the stuff that I'm not good at is the stuff that I'd rather be doing right now. Well, of course. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's, a, that's just a, one of those luxury problems of success. It's like, hey, you know, I love uh, making these beautiful records and yeah. like pushing the limit musically yeah. And, yeah. and rocking out, but I really want to do the thing that, that really makes no money and hurts my feelings. Well, that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> well, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. look, congratulations. Yeah. On Thank you very much. Game. It's a cool guitar. Go check it out online on Epiphone.com or whatever. Yeah. But uh, it's called the Thunder Horse. Right on, dude. Thanks, Randy. Cool, thanks. <laughs> All right, so was that uh, uh, was that an exciting uh, guitar nerd out session for you? I, I hope so. I hope it, I hope it resonated. I hope it played well. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we did. I guess you could probably go to Guitar Center and have a similar experience, but not with me and Brendan. Now we enter the hunt sales portion of. Uh, of the show i i i met with hunt he came to my hotel room in austin texas uh, again i want to make it clear that uh i i'm slightly obsessed with hunt sales uh i i love his fucking drumming uh, he's a true rock and roll spirit and uh and the fact that he soupy sales his son you know just was co- a complete obsession of mine and uh, you know we talk about it and we did not play as as big a part in his life as as i thought you know Subi sales was uh, some some uh, a comic i knew as a kid who i actually met on an airplane i i tell i tell i tell hunt that i believe and uh but i was just thrilled to meet him cuz he's he's a hardcore rock and roll character you know and uh and he had quite a story and i hope you enjoy that so let's uh let's go to me and hunt in austin texas You got a great voice, man. It took a while to get it this way. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cigarettes. Hunt Sales is my guest. I might as well intro that right up front. Hunt Sales is responsible for one of the most signature drum introductions in rock and roll. You've heard that before. No, I'm hearing it now. I like it. Keep going. Uh, nobody, like, if you hear the opening drum riff of Iggy Pop's Lust for Life, which everybody fucking knows, that's you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I remember uh, flying to Berlin, Germany. Yeah. Um, and uh, getting to bed, flying forever to get there. And then going out that night, I had a friend of mine who didn't live too far from where we were staying and staying up with him doing God knows what. And then getting a phone call early in the morning, let's go to work. Yeah. Of course, Iggy and David had been there 
for weeks or months. David Bowie? Yeah, so yeah. they were ready to work, and I was just tired. I mean, just, you know, besides <laughs> what we were doing the night before, but just, you know, that flight. Yeah. Uh, let's go. And I remember they called me several times, and finally I got out of bed and, and made my way over to the studio, and uh, we just started recording. And I, that record four or five days we did the whole record yeah and wrote it in the studio uh iggy had a lot of stuff kind of together lyrics and ideas for songs yeah a few songs yeah here they here's here's how this goes but a lot of it was put together it was a group effort well, where were you living i was living in california at the time so you just got the gig who got you the gig um prior to iggy I had been, I was working with uh, a guy named Bob Welsh. But he was, uh, like, when he left Fleetwood Mac? Yeah, he left Fleetwood Mac, and he got himself a deal with Capitol. Right. And weird thing is, he had this drummer, Tom Mooney, yeah. who also worked with Todd Rundgren, who I had worked with. It's a really... Which albums of Rundgren's you on? Uh, I'm on his uh, Runt, yeah. his first uh, solo breakthrough record, and We Gotta Get You a Woman was his hit yeah. off of that. That's you? Yeah, that's me. I was 15 when we did that. 15 and then, years old? Yeah. And then uh, I did a few tracks uh, on a few of the other albums he did. I'd do a track or two here or there. He uh, were, decided to use some other people. Were you some sort of drum prodigy? I mean, how the fuck at 15, or was it the novelty of it? or how did you uh, get? No, I, you know... So much, and you probably could, uh, as Norm Crosby would say, detest to this, but um, <laughs> is is being prepared, yeah. you know, having your stuff together, yeah. but timing, yeah. luck. Yeah. I, luck is really, you know, but, but you say you're lucky and the timing is there, being prepared and being able to really do it. So regardless to whatever, um, more or less... I had my style and I had, you know, at that age, I ha had been playing for, I started playing at six, seven years old. And your brother, you, you worked with your brother Tony then yes. too? Yes. And, to, and so Tony Sales was how, is he older than you? He's a two years older. But, so he's only 17. So did he play on these records yes. with you? Yes. So here's the deal. Yeah. Um, I was with Bob Welsh with Paris yeah. and I had gotten, uh, we had, uh, I had joined up with him with a band called Paris. Yeah. And um, we were touring, lots of touring back then before MTV. You know, you'd go in and play Milwaukee or whatever, and then the next day you'd see, wow, we sold a 1,000 units. So we did a lot of touring. And I had come down with Bell's Palsy. We were out touring. Your, your face fell yeah, down? Yeah, the side of my face was, uh, was uh, I don't know, it, it was, you know, numb How, or how old were you now, 20? Um, with bob wells yeah 21 20 yeah. something so i get back and then the it dissolves he decided to go more solo you right. know and forget the paris thing and i was recuperating and then i get a call from uh, david's handlers as Bowie. they say Bowie's yeah in the yeah. business and what david had done is he had hooked up with iggy and more or less, Iggy was living on the street, basically, and didn't have a record deal and was not in great shape. David came along, took him to Berlin, helped him get his shit together, got him a deal for R on RCA Records. They had recorded one record. The Idiot? Yeah, the Idiot album. And then they were getting ready to tour, and it was like, well, who do we call? 
And they said, let's call the Sales Brothers. They knew we'd show up and do a good job and, and had a certain thing going. But this goes back. Uh, James Williamson, the guitar player with Iggy, and my brother and I were close friends. And um, In Los Angeles. Yeah, in Los Angeles. And years earlier, James was producing a record um kill, kill city. city yeah and he had called my brother and i in um iggy was familiar with us right. you know because in of, the haze yeah <laughs> and um david i had met my brother and i had met david back when he was doing the ziggy stardust thing back when we were working with todd rundgren and i remember meeting david at max's kansas city and him saying hey come down i'm playing radio city music hall tomorrow and we went and saw him and you know you meet someone look when did i see you last 10 years ago and here we are sitting yeah you know what i mean so you you meet people and and though you don't see them all the time. You 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 see them ten years later or whatever, and it's, it's like it was yesterday. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah. so it's funny how things work, and obviously, um, we had something to offer, and they knew this was these tours that we did with Iggy. It'd be like. 70 gigs in 82 days you know like relentless and that's europe and america and they knew that we'd show up and do a good job and and cut it yeah and that's part of it uh and, and you were kids <laughs> well i mean with iggy we were what was i 21 yeah something like that okay so i'm playing 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 16 i've been playing 14 15 years yeah now that's if you're a musician any musicians out there after 10 15 20 years that's enough time to know that you really need to learn something <laughs> and either you make the next step and really work on your stuff yeah or forget it you know in, yeah, in a yeah. word not forget it but you should yeah you know you so but but most of that album was sort of improvised like i always wondered like at the end of success where you guys are in a chorus with him yeah well you just he just you didn't know what he was gonna say no well, it's just ad lib <laughs> but um see the the thing that i think that made that record what it is is prior to recording that record we had done a world tour or close to a world tour so you know you go out on the road with iggy yeah with okay. iggy but um supporting his first record on rca which was called um the idiot right the idiot so you took you were playing sister midnight dumb yes. dumb boys yes slow groove though yes. most of that shit so we we after touring doing all that touring and that's like most musicians or bands if a, if a band goes out and does a bunch of gigs together that's really a good time to go in and record because you're tight, you yeah, know. Right, right. And and during sound checks, we'd jam on things or here's an idea, let's do the, you know. Yeah. So it was all that vibe and all that work, uh, those months of of touring that came into play when we got ready to do this record. What shape was he in during that tour? I mean, were you was there a constant constant <laughs> concern of? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, David was more or less babysitting him, so, so he was, was on good. the tour too. David was on the on the first tour playing piano. Yeah, and it was leaked out that he was there for ticket sales. Sure, and, you sure. know, add a little bit of more. So he was to, on stage. Yes, he okay. was playing piano. Um, so yeah, uh, David was along, and he was enjoying just being one of the guys. You know what I mean? Playing, you know, one if. If Did you he, like him? Yeah, David is a, a is a. Um, I'm looking for the the right word 
for it, but endearing, I don't know. Sociable, it's, though? I mean, you can yes. hang out and have a conversation? Yes, he has that ability when he looks at you, you're the only person in the world. Oh, yeah. You're the only one there. Sure. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know. Um, yeah, so, and Tin Machine was you. Yeah, now Tin Machine, a lot about saying about me and you sitting 10 years ago or eight years ago. So from 1976, 77, being on the road with David, of course, hanging out, playing together, came into play, what, 30 years later or right. whatever, what when Tin Machine. So, um, uh, But was it like, you know, are you guys still around kind of call? Like, you know, do you... What, with David? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, because it's a long time. I mean, what's uh, that? I, you know, um, he ran, my brother ran into him at a rap party for the Glass Spider tour. Yeah. And, and, and out in California. I was in Texas at the time producing somebody here working in the studio, but my brother runs into him at a party. Luck. Yeah. Now we go back to the luck thing or, or timing. And what, I, did, did David say, like, do you guys still, you and your no, brother? No, he was like, hey, good to see you. And the da 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 yeah, da. Yeah. And I got this idea. And I don't know. I think David was fishing to do something. He's always done something different, you yeah, know, changed yeah. it up, yeah. which has been great. That's a great thing about him. And he said, you know, I got this guitar player I met, David said, about Reeves Gabrell. And call, the, call him up, call the drummer up. Yeah. me so my brother calls me and says i ran into david let's get together and jam and i came back to la and we got together in this rehearsal studio and a lot of the first tin machine record the ideas i mean all these ideas started happening and it was fun yeah and i think david like anybody at this point doing these stadium tours and uh and all that um you know when you're sitting down and say you're working on material yeah and it's and you 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 come up with something really funny. Yeah. Well, then then you got to work it into the show. Yeah. The act. Make it a bit. And then and you do it a couple dozen to hundred times, whatever. And then you work it in front of some people. And as it goes down the chain of, it's uh, I say it's purest form. You know, before it becomes all the other stuff that right. comes with before it before the production, before yeah. adding instruments. So and this is getting back to just why did anyone. Why, you know, how did we get here? Why are we here? Right. What are we doing here? I'm, you know, yeah. um, and it was just him playing guitar, almost like with Iggy, where he was the piano player. Yeah, now, of course, he's David Bowie, and it's a little hard to, but seriously, not, not, not being the running the show, as they say. And uh, I think David, um, he knew my brother and I, you know, he knew what we were capable. He just wanted to make a band. Yeah, he wanted to get back to, you know, I guess his early days and uh, and uh, not shouldering all the responsibility. I think creatively he may have been a little stunk and looking for something new. Yeah. What better way to do it is get some other people and get some input, some feedback, um, because he knew, if you know, like... I've got a lot of ideas, and some of them are good, and some of them suck. Same with him. But a lot of people, it's like the emperor's new clothes, that story. Oh, that's great. That's right. beautiful. Right. And everyone's bullshitting you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So definitely, um, I, I'm maybe, uh, as far as David is a, a writer and an artist, I respect him. But um, working with a legend, my father is a legend. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And... and, and um, so pound for pound, we got a couple guys here creating and making music and the uh, 
the uh, bullshit barometer was in effect. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that sucks, that idea. I don't like that. And he'd take it from you? Yeah. He had no choice. <laughs> but I mean, um, you know, you give it out, you get it. You know what I mean? Sure. And um, we all shared writing credits and producing credits. It, it was as close as you can get to a band having... Well, our lead singer's a billionaire. Yeah. And then you know, David used to tell me, <laughs> yeah. it's really tough at the top hunt, but yeah. the food is good. Yeah, the food is good. Yeah, oh, good so, for him. Uh, you know. That song, I like that. Those albums are great, man. I fucking I, love know, that song. Amazing. Thank you. The, the weird thing about Tin Machine is some, some label guys came down to where we were doing something, yeah. and they looked at us, and they were going... I remember someone told me, they said, wow, they sound really great, but they're not the way they're dressed. Because we were wearing suits and, you know, casual yeah. stuff like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the A&R guys, they had all the leather pants on and all the rock and roll stuff. You yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. like the uniform. Yeah, yeah. And we were trying to get away from that. Yeah. We were trying to get, you know, uh, that, that that wasn't really important, the whole, you know, um, it's a little bit played out. It was just about the music. And a lot of people, some people liked it. Other people went, oh, David, what are you doing? This is beneath you. Uh, but I think the records that we did hold up. And I think people like them now better than back then. They they hold up and, and they're honest. Um, they're not everyone's cup of tea. But uh, we were having fun. That's good. You know? So wait, okay, so when you started playing drums, I mean, your dad is Soupy Sales. Yeah. Who I met on an airplane with my grandmother. Okay. When I was very young, we got on a plane. I was with my grandmother. I don't know. I must have been five or six. And she walked by and recognized him. Yeah. And she goes, that's Soupy Sales. Yeah. Like, no, it's not. She goes, yes, it is. Go up there and get his autograph. So my grandmother made me go up into first class and ask your father for his autograph. Right. And he go to him and say, you want an autograph? Yeah, Helen. And he <laughs> says, you don't look like a Helen. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he was very nice. Nice yes. guy. So like when you were growing up, yeah. I mean, you were, you must have, you were surrounded by show business. Yes. I mean, he was a, he was a pretty swinging guy for a while before, you know, before the kids show. I mean, he was pretty hip. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. He's still, he's still my father though. Yeah. You yeah. know, and he's still... What's it like? What's it like having Supercells for a father? Well, I could say, what is it like having Milton Schlockman yeah, for whoever. a father? Or to, <laughs> to anyone, yeah. it's like you see somebody in their underwear. That's dad, and yeah. of course, yes, that the uh, the uh, everything that came with it. You know, the uh, being around the showbiz thing and and Frank's, you know, Frank Sinatra and these people hanging out. Of course, that's not. I wouldn't call that normal, but uh, it, it is normal in a way when that when you're around that sure, stuff. Sure, because you're growing up with it. How but, old were you when, like, I mean, like when you start remembering uh, that, you know, or noticing that your father was in show business? What, when was that? Very young. Yeah, five, six. Did I you, remember Nick Adams. Remember Nick Adams? Uh, he was it, an actor. Yeah. Uh, he had a western show. Yeah. I remember him coming to stay with us, and he he uh, it was like a not Gunsmoke, one of these shows, and he had his guns there in holster from yeah. a western. Yeah. But you know, um, George Lindsay, who yeah. played Goober, yeah. he'd be over swimming. And Where I in remember, L.A. Were you or in New yeah, York? Yeah, in L.A. Yeah. We grew up in L.A. and New York. Yeah. We went back and forth yeah. because it's work. But I remember my father as a really hard worker and he would go he'd either be at the studio doing his shows or he'd be up in the room writing you know yeah. what i mean like 
six days a week, really. Writing bits? Yeah, writing his shows. He did everything. You know what I mean? He wrote it. He basically directed it. Okay, you do this, you do that. I mean, but sitting there and writing, uh, writing all the bits and monologues and everything to do. So, um, and then I remember going with him as a kid to these places that sold film clips. Like, we, I remember one, one Sunday going to some place in a room and they were showing us all these clips that he would use like a guy eating soup out of a shoe or a monkeys <laughs> playing ukulele you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and going there and 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 him getting buying these these clips or whatever they did to show on us you know to yeah. using some bit. was it which show was this he had how many shows did he have ultimately well it started in detroit and he had he had a nighttime show why detroit is that where he's from no he made the migration to to Detroit like a lot of people did from the South. You got all your workers at GM and Ford. You know, there's a big migration in the 50s uh, because of the car. Uh, Detroit was a happening place, but uh, um, um, because of the uh, motor companies, you know, uh, GM and Ford. And Where'd, he grow up? Where'd you grow, he grow up? He's from Huntington, West Virginia. Okay. A Jew from Virginia, West Virginia. West Virginia, Huntington, West Virginia. Yeah. So he moved... My mom and him met there, and they moved to Cleveland. And he was in radio in Cleveland. He was a DJ. Yeah. Okay. Then from Cleveland, uh, something happened about someone said, we have this show and this kid's show and da-da-da-da, and moved to Detroit. So he went to Detroit under the guise of a kid's show. Yeah. Now, it was more than a kid's show. Right. It was, it, a- it, it was, on a, it was like um, comparable... To I guess I'll give you one example. Uh, if you a TV show, say King of the Hill, right? Kids like it, right? And adults like it, right? Because it has different, you know, sure. different levels. Le- yeah. So it was that kind of a thing. So he did this kids show, but it it turned into much more. And my dad became a huge star in Detroit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he had a nighttime show and a daytime show. Okay? And it was sponsored by a car company. Probably yeah. Jello, right. a bunch of uh, companies. So he was doing these shows, working all the time. I just remember him working all the time. And then, you know, you get as big as you're going to get in Detroit. <laughs> the next move is let's take it New York. Yeah, to New York or LA. We yeah. went to LA. And was that where did the where did the problem happen? In New York. So we went to LA yeah. and he signed a deal with with ABC TV. Yeah, right. And after a season or so. It went off. Yeah. Okay, somebody screwed some up. So he was in L.A., and I remember things were rough, you know what I mean? It's hard to be a king without a throne, you know, sure, when you're... Sure. Um, so then we ended up going to New York. So we went to New York, and he did a show again there, the same format, okay? Maybe the a, children's, the highbrow ch- yeah, the show. Yeah, And he'd have people on, different people, uh, different acts, Jerry Lee Lewis and the Isley Brothers, you know, and have a, a, a musical guest, but basically the same Did premise. you go to the studio? Yeah, it was right around the block from where we lived, uh, Metro Media. So he does his show in New York, and he is outside of the Beatles and a few people, he was in that... Huge. Stratosphere, yes. So we were in New York, and the show is doing phenomenal uh, in New York. And then he did one routine. It was after New Year's, then a New Year's Day. And he said, all you kids out there, you see these green pieces of paper with presidents on it? Put those in an envelope, send it to me, and I'll send you a postcard from Puerto Rico. It's a joke. Right, joke. I think 
you know, somebody sent a hundred thousand in monopoly money. Yeah. And but a lot of people called up. How dare you? And the people at the station, they went crazy. Like, you can't do this. That it just shows you how th- times have changed. Right. And he got pissed off with their lack of support of him as an artist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, because it was a joke, clearly a joke. Yeah, he didn't say, here's the address. And I mean, it's a joke, but some people have no sense of humor, as we know. And they thought he was shaking down the kids. Or I don't know. They're just some weird, you know what I mean? Uh, so that show, I remember. It was controversy, though. Yeah, they, he had a fight for his show. But right or wrong, after that show and the success of it, I think he walked away from that. He got to a point in. He'd been doing it long enough and walked away and wanted to do some other things with his career. They didn't take him off the air. He just said, fuck it. He just, he didn't renew his contract. And I think he set his sights to do movies and TV, which didn't necessarily go that well. He did a movie called Birds Do It. It's one of the worst movies (laughs) I've ever seen. Um, But uh, nevertheless, he did that movie. And he was a lounge act too, right? I mean, he did stand up. He he worked. He worked. And he he started doing all those shows, What's My Line? Yeah. And a million dollar thing and all that, you know, um, Dick Clark production. And he did all those shows. He worked. Yeah. You know, and he did um, like, what do you call it? Like summer stock plays and stuff. And he had Hells of Poppin' up in Canada. We went up there and he did Hells of Poppin', um, which is an old, old uh, play. Play. So he worked, but he didn't have that show. And then years later, he did the Super Sale show again back in California. Yeah. Uh, and then he did radio for um, in, in New York for uh, NBC, I think it was, yeah. or whatever. You know, um, had a, a radio show on for a while out of New York, and he worked, you know, uh, either doing a stand-up act. and uh, But he was never really what you'd call... Uh, that jive Las Vegas thing, you know. Yeah, I never yeah, yeah. made it to the Vegas or that bit. And we well, um, had a good rhythm, you know. He almost had like a jazz rhythm. Yeah, he's kind of groovy. Yeah, and he is an original hipster. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. And I think mismanagement in his career, you know, it didn't help. You Did know? you grow up? Was there a strain in that? Because, like, I mean, that's real show business life. It's like you know, you got a guy who de- you know he's a big star, and then things go you know south a little bit, and then well, you kind of. Uh, chasing it yeah my family split up my dad and mom uh split up when i was 12 13 because of the show business no just uh (laughs) because uh that's what people do you know what i mean and um i don't know i i just you know show business was everything to him yeah you know what i mean his career was everything yeah and i've learned a lot from that you know what i mean yeah if you ask me who i am i'll tell you i'm my kid's father yeah. You ask me what I do, yeah. I play music, yeah. and I try not to get them. I would like to be a better human being myself. I'd like to do better tomorrow than today. You know what I mean? Yeah. If today wasn't good enough, and I'll look at my stuff. But uh, put it in some kind of perspective, because I've seen too much where, you know, I don't know how all that that stuff keeps you warm at night, the 8 by 10s and yeah. the awards. But, uh, Jesus, um, I sh- saw a lot. And it taught me on what not to do as far as a father. And I'm a, a parent. Like what? Well, to be there for my kids. Right. You know what I mean? And 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 my father, like any and everyone else, did the best he could. Uh, I don't think he had much of an example as far as how to be a father. Uh, I think he 
didn't have a father, you know what I mean? Several fathers had died or whatever. His mom raised him. So I can understand that. But, um, you know, I, I luckily, I was able to see my parents, for the most part, as people. And, yeah, they were my parents, but they're still people, human beings with all the flaws. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and things. And, uh, yeah, uh, him leaving... And um, where'd you grow up? Who'd you grow up with? Your mom? My mom. My in, mom took care of us in L.A., uh, New York and L.A. Yeah. And then I left home. I was in living by 15. I was on the road living in so hotels. How'd you start? How'd you start playing drums? I mean, was it, you know, what, did you like, was there a, what got you turned on to that? I mean, well, I went I went to some recording sessions back when I was six, seven, my dad would do these records, yeah. like part comedy, part singing. Yeah. And I went to a session, and there was this drummer, Earl Palmer. Yeah. Fantastic drummer. He plays on all the Little Richard, a lot of Little Richard, Fats yeah. Domino, New Orleans guy. And he was playing on the record. And I, you know, of all the stuff I've seen, the mu- the musicians, the show business people, yeah. I kind of, you know, the show business, comedy, yeah, I probably you know have a little bit of that in me but the music is the stuff that that i was turned on to that turned me on the musicians and and that stuff so seeing him at that session it was like wow i want to play the drum you know and and then a family friend of ours shelly mann great jazz drummer session he was a friend of the family and and that influenced me and he he kind of became my mentor uh as as young and he gave me my first hi-hat cymbals yeah and i think my parents bought me a snare drum so for the first year or so i that's all i had it wasn't i want to play drums and they go buy me everything no i I was raised the way my father was raised which is good in a way it it helped me in life you know which means what which i wasn't given it i wasn't spoiled or given i bought my own first car a lot a lot of things maybe under underrated but nevertheless i've worked for whatever i have you know what i mean and my father wasn't around a lot of the times you know what i mean so um that that's my experience opposed to other people i knew where they they'd get cars the the kid up the block his dad's a, a dentist he'd get the trans am yeah meanwhile i'm walking to school yeah it was a little uh disproportionate or whatever yeah. the word is but um you know getting back to doing the best he could uh but uh it was a little strange you know what i mean yeah in that but whatever i i definitely don't have any entitlement issues yeah <laughs> you know what i mean uh i wouldn't mind one but uh i i don't and um and it taught me a lot it taught me about getting things myself and working for a work ethic and stuff you know what i mean I but when that dude man what's his first name shelly shelly man yeah so you're like seven years old yeah. right and you got he gave you a high a hi hat yeah so like when he sat you down and when you spent time with him once you got your snare drum did, so was he the guy that like taught you how to swing uh, just, you know, by association, you're around people and you pick things up. You know what I mean? You see them play. You go to a session and it, and it rubs off and you see this. You know what I mean? But I just was, you know, all about music, my brother and I. And that's all I cared about. And, you know, when you're young, you're 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, what are kids into? Well, some kids get, get strange and get into all kinds of bad stuff. And other kids get into basketball and kids, you know what I mean? Yeah. Music, as you remember back then, rock and roll was new. Yeah, and it was exciting, and it was just beginning, and it was it was a new it was a new idiom or or whatever you want to call it, and and that's really rhythm and blues, 
and all that stuff I was really into, soul music and rock and roll. And that's all I wanted to do was play music. And I'd seen musicians, I'd been around musicians, and it looked good to me. I kind of got into it for all the wrong reasons. I didn't get into it as a career. Yeah. And uh, I didn't think about the money and all that. That came later on getting skills and training and stuff. Yeah. But uh, I got into it for the love of it. Uh, you know, some, some people will say, I got into it to meet chicks. You know what? Does it really matter why someone got into it? It's yeah. what, what, what do you do with it? How, how did your brother decide on bass? or Did you both start at the same time? Yes. And he, you were just sort of like, you're going to play that, I'm going to play yeah. this? And he, he started on guitar. Yeah. And ended up on bass. Yeah. You know, he plays guitar also, both. But uh, he, he really got into the bass, you know what I mean? And, uh, and ended up um, working a lot with this great bass player out of L.A. called Carol Kay. Yeah. Session bass player. She played on the Phil Spector stuff and thousands of other you know, so did you how, did you meet these people like just by virtue of like your dad would do a, a session? You kind of hang around, get to know I mean, them. That was a little bit, and then. But you must have been like there's 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 those sales kids hanging around. Yeah, but you know, um, living in L.A., I start the drums. I get, I start taking drum lessons at yeah. seven, which was good, and I learned all the, you know, the beginning rudiments and all that stuff. Yeah. And then we moved to New York. Yeah. And in New York, there used to be a street. It's still there, but it's not the same. 48th Street. Yeah. Manny's Music. Sure, there Manny's used to Music. Be 20, yeah. Stuyvesant. There used to be 20, 30 music stores. Sam was, Ash. Yeah, it was really exciting back then. Yeah, yeah. And there was a, I, what was it? The Cozy Coal something drum school. Yeah. I mean, real old school. Yeah. And I got a te I, I started with this teacher, this old guy. He was from the big band days. Yeah. And, uh, William Kessler, yeah. I think his name, and he taught me a lot, uh, ear training and stuff. I, he was, you know, with the cigarette yeah, holder, yeah, yeah. smoking cigarette with his hair greased back. He was a character. Yeah. He must have been 60, 70 years old. But I started studying with him, and here I am on 48th Street hanging out. I'd hang out, and I'd see Wes Montgomery. I'd see the bands that came over from England, yeah. you know what I mean? And all, I just, it was really exciting. My, after school, I'd go down to 48th Street, either yeah. take a lesson or just go hang out. At the store. Yeah, at Manny's. Yeah. And I met everyone and saw everybody. <laughs> so I just, you know, like if there's anybody- Did they know you at the store? Yeah, the owner's dead, yeah. you know what I mean? But uh, I'd say to anybody that wants to do anything, if you want to be a comedian or you want to be a plumber, or you immerse yourself around your people. Yeah. The people you want, you know, what you want to be, immerse yourself in yeah, it. Yeah. And some of it may rub off. Yeah. You're going to have to do the work. Yeah. But uh, a little bit it will rub off and it helps. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. So when, when you started like gigging, at what fourteen? Yeah, I'm gigging at thirteen, and I can't. I don't have a cabaret card, but um, I'm playing parties. You know what I mean? Around New York, we're playing parties, and then we put this band together. You and your brother? Yeah, called Tony and the Tigers. <laughs> and because of my dad, we got some deal with Roulette Records. Yeah, Morris Levy mm -hmm. uh, on this label. You see Morris Levy's name on a lot of songs as writer, mm -hmm. which he didn't write, but. <laughs> So Frankie Lyman and and you know it's famous is the stories about him. But we're recording, recording at Bell Sound, which was a famous studio and a for roulette, and doing our best at thirteen. You know what do you you know twelve years old, and we ended up doing Hullabaloo. That's a TV show. You can get these videos now at video places. They're out Hullabaloo with my dad. You know, let's get Soupy on with his kids. Yeah, whatever. So 
we're in 16 magazine which was a teeny bopper magazine yeah, I remember, back yeah. over and the raiders and herman's hermits and you the back them what did you back them or why were no, you no but we did we we do these tv shows and stuff so so you were almost a novelty act well, we were a little, yeah, we were young. You yeah. know, aren't they cute? <laughs> yeah. And we were doing Bob Dylan songs and whatever. We didn't know the fuck we are doing, but yeah. we're trying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and um, I remember we did Atlantic City, uh, the Steel Pier in Atlantic City with my dad. And it was a, it was a Labor Day or some weekend. Yeah. And it was us. My dad was headlining the animals, Eric yeah. Burden. Sure. It was, it was the animals, George Shearing. And then some juggling acts. And, yeah. and I remember <laughs> we're in this dressing room. Yeah. And right, we shared a dressing room with the diving horse. Yeah. There's a horse that dives off of this thing. <laughs> and it smelled, you can imagine. And I looked at my brother and said, this is show business. Yeah. You know, what, and get out of show biz? But um, I remember the animals, they were awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Seeing real, like some real stuff and them yeah. playing. But I saw them arguing and, you know, and yeah. beating each other up. Yeah. It was like their last gig and they were contractually splitting up. And then Eric Bird. Oh, the actual animals here i'm yeah. still thinking like you saw horses arguing yeah. well both you know both of them but uh we do these shows and we do record hops uh, yeah out in new jersey and brooklyn and queens we'd go out with 20 or 30 other acts uh, uh um and go out and that was really an introduction to showbiz because we'd go out on stage with our equipment and there'd be a guy with a record player going and putting the and you'd lip sync to an audience yeah i heard about this and i thought that was the weirdest i'm standing there like mimicking playing drums in front of an audience to a track. Yeah. I mean, now it's people do that on TV. They don't, you know. Right, but like there was there was actual uh, acts. I think Martin and Lewis were like a, a, a lip syncing act because I talked to Dick Van Dyke. He was in a team. That was the whole shtick. They'd go up there and and, and do lip syncing. Yeah, but I mean, we're, here's our new record that's out on roulette. We oh, I see. It was your record. Yeah, and we get up and play to it rather yeah. than we could have just played live. because all of these bands could have, but but it was weird back then. You'll see movies about the fifties and sixties, yeah. but they really they'd have all the acts that had records out, and they do these record hops or whatever with twenty thirty, the Jive Five. Um, that's all these. Well, acts. Were they were afraid of amplification, or were they afraid yeah. of organization? What they? Came I with? guess the production, you know, that way they didn't have to worry about PA's. And this, yeah. it was like a crummy record player. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the, the, the <laughs> you could uh, hear you could hear the static. Yeah, the, the the top ten things or whatever record. You know, back in the that day when we got into the business, they were releasing tons of records every week 50 records a week right and maybe one of them stuck they right. throw it on the wall oh if it sticks now they do 20 records a year a label right. will right so um the so, brill building was still going back then so the writers I mean? were all at the brill building churning yeah. out r&b hits and teeny yes. bopper hits and that, that kind does of shit. not that type that does not exist anymore the business i got into as a kid yeah, there's still records, of course. There's still studios, of course. But it is—it's a different world. Oh it's yeah, it's not the same. And it was exciting, you know. Uh, being well, it was in more the of a community. Of yes, like you know, you know all the cats. Like, did you actually go to the Brill Building at all? I—I I remember getting some acetates, some demos. I remember a couple of the guys. We did a TV show with the Hollies. Oh yeah, and and, uh, and uh, they were really nice. And I remember them giving us some acetates of some demo songwriting yeah. that they had, and uh, just a few other people. But um, yeah, back then, a feeling anything was possible, and and uh, just you know all the record labels, and uh, 
album, it was the singles. People put out 45s. Yeah. And if you got a big 45, then you put another one in. And after so many 45s, then came the album. Right. And then towards the late 60s, yeah. singles were, you still had a single, but albums. You know, we'd get the album, smoke right. some weed, and listen to the concept. And yeah. Look at the pictures. And, yeah. You know, that whole bit. Uh, the Beatles are responsible for that and a bunch of other acts of changing. And they were songwriters. And yeah. then everyone became, would have to write. Dylan, a lot of people came out that, that wrote and performed. But prior to that, you'd have songwriter and you have your performer. Right. Sometimes... The yeah, same, right. But not, but not usually. Yeah. Did you got did you uh end up uh like you if you remember that that whole change of the business, did you did you start playing with uh did you meet those guys? I mean, were they around like you know Dylan and those people? I saw I remember I went down to this blues down at the Cafe Ogogo, I think it was, down the village. It's wild and, that you grew up in the city because it was like yeah, must have been fucking amazing. It yeah. was happening. And I remember there was a blues show. Yeah. And all these blues guys, these guys that, you know, John Lee Hooker and Funk and, and, um, um, what's his name? It did Bright Lights, Big City. Um, Jimmy Reed? Jimmy Reed. I mean, they had everybody on this show, but this is back in 65, 6. I mean, you know, they were still alive, but it was this big blues show. So I go down, I'm down there at this blues show, my mom and a friend of hers, and we're hanging out, and I look over, and Bob Dylan is standing there. And I went, man, I'm going to go up to him and, and say hello. Yeah. And I remember going up and saying something to him. Yeah. And I don't know if it freaked him out. I remember him running out of the... <laughs> really? Yeah, I didn't want to be messed with. Years later, I worked with him. He's a really super nice guy. A really cool guy. What did you work with him on? Yeah, I worked with him on a video with Dave Stewart from the Arrhythmics. Yeah. Was, uh, I don't know how he got involved, but he had... I don't know if he had produced the record or just he was directing the video. Yeah. And they called me up. Do you want to be in this? And me and and and, uh, and a bunch of other people did this video with Dylan. I, I, I don't yeah. know. It was years ago. But I don't know where we got started. But uh, Just know, in terms of the transition from singles to records yeah. and you know, how that affected your playing. Yeah, and, I mean, I had, quite a, I had quite a learning curve and an experience curve from 12 to 15. Yeah. I went through a lot. The breakup yeah. of my family, the moving from L.A. to New York and back again. You know what I mean? How'd that affect you, though, like emotionally? Did it fuck you up? Ask my psychiatrist. Well, I can't <laughs> no, I don't. I'm just kidding. Um... I don't know. I'm sure it had some effect on me. You know what I mean? I yeah. don't know the normal thing. I see people, I see people, and and their you know their father was around and and helpful and this and that and go wow. But that's not my experience. Yeah, yeah. My experience is is uh, I'm my own father. Yeah, so you know it, what I mean. I right. raised myself. Yeah. So um, uh, how do you think you did a good job? I, uh, you know what? <laughs> Ask my kids. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've got a great real I have two I have two girls. I've got one that's twenty two. Um, just got out of college, art school yeah. in, in Los Angeles, and I have a five year old. Yeah. So uh, both of them, I think they like me. Oh, that's and I good. think I've, I've you know, you'd have to ask them. How do you get along with your brother? I get okay. Yeah. You know? Uh you know how brothers are. <laughs> I do. You know what yeah, I mean? I have it's one. good and bad and bad and good and good and bad and you know. <laughs> Yeah, I love him to death, but you know it's hard. Family is, you know what I mean. How yeah. family is, it's rough. Yeah. You know? And what? Now, what was the first tour you guys went on? If you started working when you were fifteen, it was the Bob Welsh. It was Paris. No, it was with Todd Rundgren. I met. I was there was a club in New York called Steve Paul Scene. Yeah. And Steve Paul 
would later go on to manage Johnny Winter and Edgar Winter. Yeah, sure. Okay? Yeah. And he had a club. Yeah. And it was on the west side, and it was one of these clubs subterranean in the basement. Those are the best. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And you'd go down there. And Low Jan- ceilings. Janis Joplin be there, Stevie Winwood. Jimmy you saw Hen- Janis Joplin? Yeah, st- she used to live down the hall from me at the Chelsea Hotel. But um, um, all these people would be there. And um, I remember being there one night, and for some reason, I ended up with Jimi Hendrix sitting with him, and we're talking. Because Jimi Hendrix, he played a show with my dad a few years earlier. The Isley Brothers? No, with Little Richard. He huh. was playing in Little Richard's band, uh-huh. and Little Richard was on the show with my dad. That's where I first saw him. But I, I'm sitting, talking to him, saying, I, I saw you on that show with Little Richard, and he really nice guy. Yeah. I was down there, he said, hey, you want to come down to the studio? And I struck up a friendship with him, you know what I mean? With I'm, Hendrix. Yeah, with Hendrix. And I'd run into him different places, you know, I saw him a couple times here and there. Playing? What? Playing? Definitely or? playing, but I'm just saying, yeah. seeing him yeah. at Manny's, yeah. you know, uh, picking out guitars and sit down and bullshit yeah, with yeah. him. Or at the scene, I sat at the scene, and then he said, come down to the studio. Come down at five. Yeah. I said, five in the afternoon? You know, five in the morning. I went, Okay, Mom, I'm going down to see Jimmy. <laughs> when? At 5 in the morning? Okay. I remember going down there at 5 in the morning, down there, and he was working on the second record. He was a super nice guy. Yeah. Super nice guy. Uh, sweet guy. So you were like 14 or something? Yeah, 14. And you go down to see Hendrix? Do yeah, you, do down you remember at the what record he was... plant. He was down there recording. And, uh, you I remember ju- what he was recording? Yeah, he was recording A Long Hot Summer Night. Okay. Okay. But uh, I go down there, I'm hanging out. So I'm down at the scene hanging out, and somebody introduces me to Todd Rundgren. Right. And Todd Rundgren was just getting a solo thing together. Yeah. So my brother, uh, he came down, and we ended up jamming. At the scene with Todd, and, and so, something clicked. We had some. And we spoke to Todd, and like, man, let's, he said, I'm doing this record. I got a deal. I the Naz. I left the Naz, and I got my song. I went, good. I said, we're moving back to California. We were getting ready to move back to California. With your mom? Yeah. Yeah. My mom. My dad was gone, and we were, you know, moved back. We had a house out in L.A. that we had been rented out, and it was available, and we went back to live there. Yeah. So Todd came out to L.A., he stayed at our house, and we put together the Run album, you know, with yeah. Todd, and worked on that. So, it's funny, like being at the right place, the right time. He's pretty meticulous, though, right? As a Todd, producer. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, I like, I'm not a smart he, guy, yeah. and and really talented. Sometimes too smart for your own good. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But very talented as a young. You know, as a, how old was he then? 21, maybe? 22? I was 15. Man, what year was that? That was 69. Wow. 68, 69. What a talented guy, man. Great guitar player. Great writer. I mean, great producer, knowing about all the technical stuff. And, and um, you know, yeah. he had his shit together. So, um yeah, we started working with him in the learning curve between thir- 12, I'm doing Hullabaloo, doing, trying to do Dylan songs. By 15, I got a top five record I'm on. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and my skills have progressed. <laughs> I've been studying now. Yeah. I've been hanging out, yeah. l- sucking it all up, jamming with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I got quite a curve in those few years. It wouldn't be till a few years later that uh, I was introduced to this guy, uh, this drum, this drummer who's a teacher. Yeah. And it changed my world, you know, because I, I sat down and, and basically 
he showed me where I was, where I was at. Was the guy in L.A.? Yeah, my skills, which I didn't, I had talent. Yeah. I, I, th- I believe if you're a comedian, you're a drummer. Yeah. It's a God-given talent. Yeah. It really is. Now, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Are you going to work on it? Yeah. And, and hone it and, and perfect it? And at that, I, I'd already been on a hit record. I, I'd played, da-da-da-da. But I really looked at myself and went, my shit wasn't together. So I started studying. I'm about 17. And I stopped playing rock and roll. And I played a lot of jazz, like Jimmy Smith, organ trio type. Yeah. I'd go to the ghetto in L.A. and hang out Compton yeah. and jam. There was yeah. clubs you could jam, and I studied. Yeah. And I remember I, I wasn't in school. I yeah. go at school. So I, for a couple of years, I sat in a room and worked 10 hours a day on my stuff, uh, studying out of books and, and, and training, and really honed some of my shit together. You know what I mean? That serves me today. Yeah. You know, when I go in to cut a, a track in the studio or do anything. You right. Know yeah, I mean? yeah. So uh, when did you live at the Chelsea Hotel? I'm sorry? When did you live at the Chelsea Hotel? I lived in 69. Uh, uh, we, we were in L.A. We did the record with Todd. Then he moves... He moves to New York. He's in L.A. for all, but he goes back to New York. Then he calls us. We're going to do a tour and the thing. Come to New York. So we go, you know, school was out. I think, you know, school was out. And, okay, we're going to leave. And when I left to go to New York, I I knew in my head, I ain't going back to school. Forget that. (laughs) You know, I just have to convince everyone else. Yeah. So we went to New York and tried to put this tour together. We did a couple dates. and, And either this or that or something managed to screw things up you know what i mean and ended up you know being a bust yeah after several months there i hung out in new york for a while and you were at the chelsea yeah living at the chelsea what was that like then (sighs) we go to the chelsea and my brother and i are in this room and the room was a real shithole and there's like blood in the drawer and the the door would open like being locked but you know I had a bunch of planet and Todd shows up and I go this fucking hotel I don't care Dylan Thomas who the fuck he said you know 80% of the hotels in Europe are like this yeah I went we're not in Europe motherfucker (laughs) um (laughs) welcome to showbiz who was living there though Janice was living there yeah she was living down the hall I remember seeing her that must have been was it towards the end well, yeah, who the hell know. knows? Yeah, it was a couple of years before she died. Yeah. Year two. Yeah. I don't know. And I remember seeing her, and she was like, you know, I was fifteen, and yeah. I had my little groove going. Yeah. You know, who, who, you know, hey, honey, and that's with her bit. And I just remember her being kind of creepy. Yeah. You know, just like a drunk. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I remember I was at some club one night, and I called her. I'm, like, I'm going to call her up, see what she's up to. I think she was out of it, sleeping or whatever. Yeah. I woke her up, but yeah, she was. She lived down the hall. Did you me. sleep with her at fifteen? No, oh. I, luckily no. Yeah. Um. Um. But that there were other women. I was going out with twenty six year olds. You know, ch- chicks way older than me. That was fun. And in sixty nine, like that was when, like that was the first time Iggy played New York, and then the punk, not the punk, but the pre punk, the Velvet Underground and shit was yeah, all starting that's way before. Yeah. Yeah, and was you, were you tapping into that at all, or no, did you see it? I no. Was, look, I was into going to the Apollo Theater. Right. I was into Bobby Bird and James Brown. Yeah. Okay, that's. Yeah. I was into Count Basie. Yeah, I was into Duke Ellington. I was into F- Sonny Stitt, Charlie yeah. Parker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Wes Montgomery. That was where you were at. A garage punk. I'm yeah. a. Uh, I mean, it's not beneath, below, above, or anything. I think, I, I primitive is where it's at. Yeah. As far as certain music. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, but um, I aspired to people like 
that I saw like Duke Ellington and Buddy Rich and these people. Buddy Rich, amazing, right? Yes. I just talked to Mel Brooks. You know that Buddy Rich taught Mel Brooks how to play drums out on did? Coney Island. Yeah, okay. when Mel Brooks was a kid. Is that hilarious? Yeah. Yeah. He must have been amazing to see. He him. was. I got to hang out with him. You know, nice guy. Yes, very nice. You know, I had a couple of guys that worked with Buddy Rich, yeah. and they went, he was an asshole, and this yeah. and that. These are horn players. I yeah. had this horn band. Yeah. So I'm doing a gig one night, and I look over, and the horn player is sitting on the side of the stage, and we're in the middle of this whole number. So I uh, play a solo, and the guys, so I walk over to this horn player, and I go, what are you doing? He said, I can't hear myself on the monitor. I said, fuck you, get on the stage. I can't hear anything. And after the show, I said, you know, Buddy Rich is right. You're a fucking jerk. And that's why Buddy Rich had to toe the line because his name was up there and he had all yeah. this young horn player punks yeah. Yeah. that didn't, you know, yeah. come on, Buddy Rich doing it since he was two years old, you know, two, three years old on stage and some young punk that gets out of college, a horn player, as good as they may be, they haven't paid the dues, they haven't earned anything, which is fine, but don't have an attitude like that. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And yeah. a lot of people, the entitlement. Yeah. A lot of people have an attitude and when you're with someone who's paid a lot of dues, you're bound to have, they set a precedent and anyone that, that, that fucks with that, well, you know, they're gonna be hard to get along with, but one-on-one -on -one Buddy Rich, I never saw anything that was, you know, he could be an asshole, but. Who can't? Yeah, you got a 20-piece band, 18-piece band with a bunch of, you know, yeah. young kids that, that think they know everything. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's hard. So when, like, in terms of playing the rock and roll and getting a, you know, I mean, you, you got pretty beat up over time, didn't you? Yeah, physically, yes, yeah. literally. But I like when. I was, I got really messed up in New York. Ended this one tour with Todd and some street gang got a hold of me and beat, really beat Over me. what? Uh, you faggot or whatever they yeah. said to me and I went, fuck you. You know, I was wearing pink velvet pants and yeah. da 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 da, you know. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and they came up and hit me with a broom handle. I oh remember, my God. I remember going up to some cops and they were like laughing. Hey, that's really Attica or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I took myself to the hospital and I remember them shaving my head and giving me stitches and welcome to New York, you know? Yeah. Well, when did the rock and roll lifestyle kick in? Oh, God. The rock and roll lifestyle. Well, I mean, when did like I? I, I mean, I don't know how, how I mean, public well, you are about your struggles with uh, with with uh, drugs and whatnot. Um, I swore I would never. And I saw a lot of people like really go down, and I swore I would never get into that. And you know, good for that. Um, <laughs> it don't work that way. <laughs> you know, I guess <sighs> drugs. I, I, you know, we're. We're maybe close to the same age. I'm 49. I think not, well, I'm a little bit older than yeah. you, but close enough. Yeah. You know, in the in, think about this, yeah. or don't think about it. Right. But in the 60s, yeah, they go cocaine is good. You can do it recreational. Yeah. Doctors would say this. Yeah. Little do we know how destructive and evil it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and weed and all that. You know, back then, it, drug culture, we can't, you know. With, it was with everywhere. The, yeah, it was everywhere. And then, you know, shoot to now, where um, basically it's marketed, and there's more drugs now than ever, and they're cheaper, and they're stronger. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I got into drinking 
I swore I'd never do that. And and when I was real young, I didn't drink. When I was about 16, 17, hanging out at bars and hanging out with different people, I started drinking. And and I didn't think anything of it until I looked at later. Who sits down and drinks a fifth? Yeah. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I knew I might have a problem when the bartender says, "Are you still walking?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know uh, that let you know, and then um, and then all the other stuff came in, uh, all the other drugs, and um, what was your thing? Um, you name it, you know what I mean. You what was the thing it. that caused the biggest trouble? Um, I'd say uh, when when I got to the uh, hard stuff, yeah. you know what I mean. When when you know dope. Yes. Yeah. You know, when I became a heroin addict. And uh, that's something for years, no matter where I was, you know, it was available and around. And that's something that I struggled with and have struggled with. You know what I mean? Um, It's a tough one, right? It really is. You got cigarettes and you got dope. I don't know which one is harder to, to kick. Yeah. And really, I'm under the impression that I think everything should be legalized yeah and maybe go to a doctor or go to a clinic or whatever but you're not going to stamp it out by what they're doing and i think more education is needed to know you know so people figure this out rather than locking see in other countries they about uh, uh dope and stuff they look at it as a as more like a mental health problem yeah rather than a war on drugs because it is basically People are fixing themselves with whatever drug works, you know, self-medicating. Yeah, yeah. Okay? I mean, it wasn't the same years ago. The drugs they have now for if you have bipolar or whatever you have. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people are on um, whatever you call them, you know. Yeah, antidepressants. uh, Antidepressants and stuff. And you sit down one day and you go, wow, I've been trying to feel normal by doing, you know, by snorting coke or smoking coke or yeah. shooting dope or yeah. drinking booze or yeah. taking pills, sure, you sure, know, sure. all of that and stuff. And then there's also just the nature of addiction in itself, you know, yes. that, that hunger. God yes, damn it. Filling, and also filling the hole. Yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, you see people that have a drink and then you see people that really have a drink, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, and booze with the ads on TV, it's really accepted. Oh, look at him. That's funny. He's falling yeah, down. Yeah. He's throwing yeah. up and. You know what I mean, yeah, yeah. but you see somebody with a with a with a rock pipe, and then yeah. people move. Yeah, oh, yeah. We're moving away from here. You know what I mean, and it's all the same shit. Yeah, it's you know some of it's you know is the is the express elevator to hell immediately. You know, but um, it's you can't say one thing. From my experience, is worse than anything else. Yeah. A drug is a drug. Well, I remember seeing you like uh, at a place, at a thing before I actually met you. It was probably you know ninety, no, probably two thousand and two. I saw you out in L.A. Mm-hmm. and you you know you, you you looked hard, man. Yeah, I mean you're pretty open. You seem pretty you know like you know you're pretty jovial and yeah. you know uh, grounded and shit. But yeah. like I saw you and it was like you were scary, dude. Oh sure, I look at pictures <laughs> of me and I scare myself. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and what it, do you think's changed? I I don't. I'm not hitting the pipe every day. <laughs> That that for one would help. <laughs> uh, let's start with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say you shouldn't do this, you should do this, and you're. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Yeah. Everyone's got to do what they got to do, and God bless everyone. And the fact that I can sit here and talk to you. Yeah. And I'm, you know, of my at least I know it of my right mind. 
and I'm not saying, hold on, let me go into the bathroom. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm really, you know. And you got the kid. That must have done something. Uh, yeah. yeah. Don't I babies. had to do something. I have had to do something about me because being a doing drugs and all that drink is a self selfish, self centered thing. And you yeah. don't care about any. You're not gonna. Yeah. St- if it, 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 it's like if someone says, "Well, he'll stop because of the kids," no, leave now. Yeah. He's gonna stop or she's gonna stop when they're ready to stop. Right. You can't do it for you. Got to do things in this life for yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. It'd be nice to keep other people in mind and be considerate of them. Yeah. But uh, when did that stop anybody from you know at <laughs> fucking up the their mo- life? <laughs> yeah. Four in the morning. I, I gotta see someone about a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, you know, it is what it is. And, and some people, a friend of mine was saying, it's like, you know, people, they they grow up. Yeah. And I went, okay, I could buy that a little bit. You know, grow out of it. They yeah. grow up. Yeah. Well, they get mature and they start thinking about other people and, and not being so self selfish and self-centered. Right. You know what I mean? But I want to tell William Burroughs or the, I was around a lot of people, jazz guys and stuff that did drugs. Yeah. And they went out and toured and worked and, and they, you know, they did their little thing in the morning or whatever. Yeah. You know. Um, whatever gets them through the day. Yeah. But there's a judge, I'm sure, that wakes up and does his little thing and then goes and does sure, sides sure. all day. There's yeah. a lot of people I've met like that through my life that, um, you know, functioning, yeah. as, the, as it would say. So I don't know. It's acceptable for someone down at the bar right now from where we are having three or four martinis. Yeah what's different because the other stuff is illegal and you are then a criminal by by doing it yeah you're and, not a, and because it's illegal you can get into a lot more trouble just acquiring it yes uh, you know doing what's necessary to there's get nothing, it yeah there's nothing illegal about drinking sure. unless you're driving yeah you know what i mean or yeah. doing doing that stuff yeah. god knows there's if you i don't want to think about it but if you do there's people out there driving so the main thing to me is I, I, you know, without sounding too cornball or I don't know, is have I been, have I, I've, I've been okay with everybody who I've come in contact with today. Have I been cool with myself? Yeah. But have I been cool with others? Have I tried to, you know, if I could do something, could, could I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. don't be Mother Teresa. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I mean, did I watch myself today? Did I yeah. do my checkup from the neck up and, yeah. and see how I'm how I'm living, how I'm affecting others around yeah. me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And being aware of that and how are my kids? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did anyone tell you they loved you today? Yeah. Me? I'm not, but I'm, I mean, did anyone? <laughs> no. <laughs> I like you. Yeah. Well, you've been okay with me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that kind of a sure, thing. Sure, man. Sure, uh, man. Trying to be aware of me and, uh, and what my effect is just as a person when i go hang out with someone or spend time with someone and yeah. have i been loving and giving and all yeah. that stuff you know what you I mean? think about it yeah absolutely yeah not to get sickening about it and on some crusade fuck that no no but you're just trying to be a better person that's all exactly and i'll get i may like all of us we may not get what we want but we'll get what we need yeah, yeah and yeah. i don't need to be like uh, des- if only desperate and needy were attractive. Yes, yeah, no kidding. I've been saying that for years. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? A, so what? What do you got going? You working on a record? I've got my own record. I finished. And if you go on Reverb Nation, which is a site, there's a couple songs up there. Okay. 
and it's called the Hunt Sales Memorial. That's the name of Dude, my when band. Dude, like when I was looking for you, when I got here, yeah. and some guy tweeted at me, said, you know, he, here's the thing. It looks like he's playing. And I saw Hunt Sales Memorial. I'm saying, oh, fuck, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Here, here's how I got the name for this. Yeah. Buddy Miles. Yeah. Someone that I admired when I was very young. Great drummer. And later on, great, great talent. And he was living out here in Austin prior to his death. And I'd go visit him, because I'd know him from back in the day, you know what I mean? Back in the Jimmy days and all that, Bay and Gypsies and Buddy Miles Express. Were and, you at that Fillmore show? Yeah. You, I was yeah. <laughs> and Buddy wasn't doing very good financially and health-wise, you know? It looked like he was on his way out, and I'd go by and see him and da-da-da. So nobody, you know, was around it. Not many people were around, you know? Yeah. Everyone loves a winner, you know? Yeah. Um, and then he dies. And then there's the Buddy Miles Memorial. Yeah. And I go to it to pay my respects. But Jesus, it was like a circus. And all these older guys with white tennis shoes and leather pants. You know the look. You sure. see them at the sure. trade shows. Yeah. You know what I mean? And everyone's up there performing. And it's packed. And I'm going, where were all these motherfuckers before he died? Yeah. Anybody to, you know. Yeah. So let's do a memorial. Obviously, something's working here. If you call it a memorial, then everyone shows up. So that's, you know what I mean? It's, so that's why I called it the Hunt Sales Memorial. We're going to have a memorial while we're living. Good, man. Rather than waiting. Well, I'm telling you, man, it's great to see you, and it's great to see you so, like, you know, focused and fucking yeah, open. You. And I appreciate you talking to me, man. Yeah, I'm more than, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's our show, folks. I hope you dug it. Music-based. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. We're, gonna get it. We're remaking those, uh, those MTV shirts. I guess I shouldn't call them that. The, uh, the, uh, the WTF uh, shirts that are a riff on a logo that you might recognize. Uh, you know, check the schedule. Check the calendar. I'm going to be at the Rochester Fringe Festival. I'm going to be up at Just for Laughs uh, 42 in Toronto. Uh, we've got the uh, LA Podcast, LA Podfest. Trying to get that booked with some exciting people. Hold on. Pow! I just shit my pants. Look out. Justcoffee.coop. That was an old school plug in the style that I invented. Am I tooting my own horn? I don't think so. Leave a comment. Check the episode guide. Get that app, folks. The most recent 50 episodes are always available for free. That means every episode is available for free for six months. You want the other 400 and change? Get the free app, upgrade to the premium app. You can stream all 412, 13, whatever they are, episodes of WTF. I'm going to go now. I've enjoyed talking to you. I'm going to meditate on my one-eyed, deaf black cat and will him back to me so I can get him some help. Okay? Boomer lives! Boomer lives!